This is mission.org. This is Marketing Trends, your number one source for exclusive interviews with chief marketing officers and executive marketing leaders in the Fortune 1000 and beyond. This is Jeremy Bergeron, and I interview, collaborate, and partner with world-class CMOs and marketing leaders across industries. The overall efforts of evangelizing automation is through change management, is through communication strategy. It has to be a key priority for companies that are adopting automation. If they want to scale, if they want to get the buy-in, not only for the top down, but also bottom up, right? How do we excite the grassroots? So everybody's in on the revolution. You would think that freeing up workers' time spent on menial tasks so they can focus on more important things would be an easy sell. Yet when it comes to adopting automation in the workplace, it seems that plenty of companies still need convincing. That's where today's guest, Xuan Liao, comes in. Schwen is the CMO for the Americas region at the intelligent automation services company, Roboyo. She is also a member of the Forbes Communication Council and co-founded the Jolt Advantage Group, which Roboyo recently acquired. On this episode, this self-proclaimed evangelizer of automation explains why she is so fired up about getting companies to join the Robolution. I want to talk about this very real thing that is automation. Uh, a lot of times I'm speaking with chief marketing officers and the you know Fortune 100, Fortune 500, and they all bring up in some way AI and machine learning and how they're leveraging certain tools and technologies. So here you sit as the marketing leader for Roboyo, and there's a lot of responsibility there because the big thing is how do we educate right our partners, our customers, the world about automation? Just take us into that world? What's that like? What are you learning in this process of evangelizing automation? Absolutely. Yeah, no, this is probably one of my favorite topics. So I think, you know, the importance of really evangelizing automation with the right messaging is really to make sure that your workforce is aware of what automation is and what is not. You know, how will they benefit from having a, a robot assistant and why it does not have the capacity to take over everything that they're doing, but rather just a task that they threat. You know, so the overall efforts of evangelizing automation is through change management, is through communication strategy. You know, it has to be a key priority for companies that are adopting automation. You know, if they want to scale, if they want to get the buy-in, not only from the top down, but also bottom up, right? How do we excite the grassroots? So everybody's in on the revolution, right? Because, you know, because they're comfortable with the idea of uh, working with digital assistants and because they're comfortable to proactively ask for more automation in different areas of the business because the employee would not only benefit from just, you know, having more productivity, but also the company's experience would be boosted, the competitive edge will be broadened, and, you know, just having the business be in more sync internally because we can eliminate the silos that, you know, we have in current different systems and data gaps in the ecosystem. So what we do here at Roboyo is you know, continuously highlight success stories from automation, right? We create demo videos, we create explainer videos to educate the workforce and kind of removing the complexity of, of the technology. And, you know, we highlight testimonial videos uh, from power users who have benefited from automation. And, you know, we're kind of also giving them the opportunity to upskill, 
right? How they can create and use automation on their own. So, you know, our marketing as a service and academy offerings, that's exactly what we do. We help our clients generate more awareness of what their automation program is doing internally. We educate them on what automation is, how to use it. And we also help to kind of train their workforce to thrive in the work, in the you know future work, because you know it's kind of nurturing that human plus digital workforce culture. Wow, I, I love that, and I think how how much of how much of it are you noticing now in this education process? Like, are you still are you still finding there are a lot of folks who are kind of of this idea that oh, I don't want this technology to take over. Like, are you still having those kind of conversations, or is it more okay? We know it's here to stay. We see the value in upskilling. What is this education looking like now in 2022? Is it still kind of like, hey, catch up, let's figure out what this actually is? Or is it still, hey, you know, this is where we're going. This is what's happening right now. What does that balance look like? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, RPA, regardless of it already reaching maturity as a technology in the market, there is still a lot of um, education that we need to, you know, kind of generate awareness for the general public to understand what RPA is. What is intelligent automation? What is hyper automation? What are the technologies that are helping RPA to go beyond the, just the task-based automation and be able to you know, take care of more end-to-end, more longer complexity processes? So there's a lot of education that still needs to be done. And that's one of the best, I guess, um, tactics that we have had on the marketing side, right? We've really focused on kind of continuously generate a, a stream of educational materials on different use cases, industries, horizontals, uh, so that it's helping us on one aspect on uh, organic SEO and generating inbound leads. And on the other side, you know, it's really helping our clients leverage that material and be able to evangelize their internal workforce. And hey, you don't have to be afraid of what automation is. Look at this success story. Look at this, you know, um, how this organization was able to bring additional additional benefits uh, to their workforce, being, you know, letting them maybe, you know, instead of working past five and generating the next batch of invoices or, you know, this manual, uh, manual task that they have to do, now automation can do that. They will take care of those tedious and mundane tasks that they have to you know, deal with in the, in the, in the day to day. Is there a distinction between RPA, AI and intelligent automation? Like are those three separate buckets or how do you view those three? Cause I'm seeing those terms thrown around a lot. RPA and AI, there's a difference. They're the same. Then there's intelligent automation. How does that all, how do they fit together? Very good question. I think that's, that's a key thing that we try to kind of educate our clients as well and understanding what's the difference of what's RPA and what's hyper automation, because there's so many I, I would say like keywords that, you know, industry analysts would come up with. And now everybody has to say, huh, what is this? What is this new, you know, hyper automation about? So, you know, let me just kind of take a step back, right? Like RPA, uh, it started, it emerged around early 2000s in kind of the shape of, you know, UI web scraping technology. And people used to call it macros on steroids. And it basically didn't require complex coding. It just, you know, it helped to boost the efficiency for data extraction and it really helped industries like banking and insurance, who are actually the earliest adopters. You know, but the technology wasn't really solidified into the RPA platforms that we know today until about um, 2015, I would say, where you know vendors like UiPath, Blue Prism, and Automation Anywhere uh, they emerged as leaders of the space. And you know, enterprises across different systems started to take notice, and automation just kind of uh, skyrocketed in regards to adoption. 
So now, you know, the RPA market has actually evolved to what we call hyper automation. And that's the concept of, you know, companies should automate everything that can be automated. So, you know, and actually, fun fact, hyper automation has been the fastest growing enterprise software segment in the last five years. Wow. And it surprised uh, cloud as a number one investment priority for most enterprise level CIOs. And so, you know, the difference between RPA and hyper automation is that you will be able to leverage additional emerging technologies such as process mining, such as uh, intelligent document processing, such as, uh, you know, digital process uh, automation, which is slash BPM and, you know, conversational AI. So you add all of this, this artificial intelligence uh, technologies to help your, uh, your RPA you know, be able to read unstructured data on screen, be able to process, you know, um, natural language processing type of skills where you can like have a chatbot understand, uh, you know, the um, the other side without the the standard, you know, the standard responses that they have on the on the chatbot configuration. So just think of it as the RPA are the fingers, right? It does what you do as anything that a human can do it in a repetitive basis. RPA can do that. Now add intelligent document processing as the eyes. So it's, we call it content, content ingestion system. And what it does is it allows the robot to actually see unstructured data. And when I talk about unstructured data, that's you know, pictures, uh, scanned documents, you know, things that a typical robot would not be able to extract normally. So that's IDP, right? Uh, and then years amount, that's natural language processing. That's, you know, conversational AI that will help your, your robots be able to interact with humans easily uh, through speech technologies or chatbots. Wow. So at what point does a company like begin to engage with Reboyo? Because I could see... I can see Reboyo just like doing like a full audit of like a company and be like, okay, here's all the areas where, you know, where automation is not being used and could be used. Is it kind of a holistic kind of engagement or are certain departments reaching out and then you're able to get more into the, into the, you know, the enterprise or how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, from, from the end to end automation service provider perspective, we have a portfolio that will help the client. Uh, regardless of whether they are uh, where they are in their uh, automation journey, right? If they already have an automation program established and they already did a pilot and they have a POC and that is proven successful, now they want to scale. We go in and we help them identify through like process discovery workshops to and process mining technologies to really kind of figure out where the, are the hidden inefficiencies and the bottlenecks in your organization and where are the highest opportunities. Uh, for automation that will yield high ROI. And by ROI, I mean, you know, not only, uh, you know, hours saved or FTEs replaced. That's not really, you know, the, the benefits that we're looking for. We're looking really for the, the intangible benefits, such as like customer experience, how we can help our, you know, customer experience in regards to contact center experiences, shortening the average handling time, uh, you know, being able to shorten the, the account creation process, and just make everything more simplified on the client side. That's a competitive edge that the client can, bene can benefit from right away. And so, you know, going back to the to the end-to-end -end service portfolio, uh, if a client is just getting started with automation, they're net new in the in the industry, and they want to, you know, get our advisory and what are the tools and technologies that they need. Because sometimes it's not RPA. You know, sometimes we need to start with process mining and understand and map out where the inefficiencies are before we even go to automate because we don't want to automate broken processes, right? So there's process discovery. There is, uh, you know, just 
consulting and strategy overall, the implementation side, which is where we code and we test the robots and we put them in production. And then there's also the many services. How do we help our clients maintain and support those robots in production in the long term? And then there's training, there's, you know, all sorts of other services that are adjacent to that core uh, consulting and implementation bucket. Mm. And it's interesting to hear you say that like banking and insurance were were advocates of this of this early in the early days. And I I can see certain advancements in banking. I actually just interviewed the CMO for Ally Financial right before you, um, an amazing CMO, Andrea. But also knowing that like I'm a customer of a big bank and like that customer experience, that calling that bank is still a point of a point of anxiety for me and many others, right? Because it's still so slow. It's so Gosh, I mean, let's not even get into it. We all have experienced it. And so yeah. it seems like there's a big gap even still in an industry that's been bullish on the technology, but also like, what's going on? We're 2022 and I still have to wait 30 minutes to talk to someone or, you know what I mean? Just would love your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that there's still a long way to go there, right? I think uh, I, I was I was just reading the other day how Maynard Keynes was predicting that by 2015, humans will be able to just work 15 hours a week instead of 40 and because he was predicting that by then technology will be so advanced that humans will have to really not work so much uh, the way that we used to. But, you know, we're not quite there, right? We're seeing all of this future work kind of emerge in, in, in front of us. We're seeing how automation is helping our organizations be more efficient and, you know, taking away some of those mundane tasks. But at the same time, the the adoption of these technologies doesn't happen from, you know, from one day to another. I, a, a wild fact that I came across the other day the average enterprise um, organization has uh, 170 systems and applications in their ecosystem. Wow. And that number grows every four years by 70%. Whoa. Yes. Yeah, so, so how wild is that? Imagine, is technology actually helping us to be more efficient? Or are we forcing our workforce to actually go through data entry across 10 different systems? Uh, and, you know, are they actually, you know, being uh, closing those functional silos with technology? Perhaps not. Hmm. So it's complex. There's so many competing priorities on the CIO's play, on the CFO's play, that it's, it's hard to decide which technology investment I want to focus on and what's going to drive the longest, you know, or the most uh, significant value with the transformation that the technology will bring to us. So I would say, you know, it's there's a few years to go here, but with what I'm seeing in regards to the adoption of, of all of this AI power intelligent automation solutions, there is a lot of progress being made. And it really, you know, I think it's not going to take too long for us to start getting a better customer experience, getting a shorter, you know, uh, contact center calls, having a, a less a dreadful visit to the DMB office, you know. Right. <laughs> Wow. Okay, cool. And now you have an interesting career. Um, I checked out your LinkedIn and I saw that the first thing I noticed is you were an actress, which I, I love that back in 2010, uh, for those who are interested. And then it looks like you, it looks like marketing kind of started for you at Novartis. Is that kind of where marketing kind of began the education part of marketing? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you know, let me just take a quick step back. I was, I was born in China, but I was raised okay. in Colombia, right? So in okay. my career uh, in marketing in the pharma industry in Novartis, so that's kind of where I got, you know, got a taste of what marketing is. But that was a very different marketing to what the IT industry does, right? Like there were so many restrictions in the pharma side that, especially in Colombia, where the regulations are very different than the U.S. So we're not allowed to do any sort of advertisement. We're not allowed to put our logos in most of the promotional materials. So it was very like direct, you know, physician, key opinion leaders, conferences, this type of marketing. 
Uh, which is why, you know, I was so glad that I was able to move to a more dynamic industry like the technology industry. Uh, so that's what I did when I first moved to the U.S. That, uh, my, fir- my first job was uh, in an Oracle consulting firm. I started off as actually as a developer with zero experience in development. Wow. They hired me because I spoke three languages and the three languages they needed to do some of the development documentation. Uh, but I was lucky enough that I say, hey, I did this, but I would love to move back to marketing because that's where my passion is. So I rapidly moved to, to marketing. I had also some, you know, experience and exposure in sales. Uh, I also had the opportunity to kind of, you know, work in Argentina before moving back to the U.S. So, you know, I've been very blessed in just having that global footprint in regards to the professional and cultural experiences. Um, but yeah, in the last four years, I've, you know, really focused on driving some of the entrepreneurial opportunities, especially in the automation industry. So you know, before joining uh, Roboyo, I co-founded Joe the Benish Group, um, which was also a pure play intelligent automation consulting firm. We grew that company to about 150 people between the U.S. and Mexico, uh, and we were acquired by Roboyo last year. So that's why I'm currently the CMO for the Americas region in Roboyo. Got it. So do you, you speak Spanish, I'm assuming? I do. Yes, that's my native okay. language. I'll say Chinese is getting roughy. <laughs> wow. So what was that like for you growing up in Colombia? Like, what was that experience like being from China, growing up in Colombia, like interesting culture shifts there? What was that like for you? Absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I arrived there when I was uh, nine years old and oh, I did not okay. speak any Spanish at all. I didn't even know where I was going to. I think my parents was just like, yeah, you know, a country where you're going to have a lot of fun. And I didn't even know that it was going to be a, like a permanent move. I thought it was a temporary move. Wow. So yeah, I ended up living 15 years in Colombia. And I have to say, I am so extremely thankful for having that experience and the opportunity to grow up in a, a different culture and being open to, you know, uh, society norms and in, you know, just the way how people interact, which really have made me a more bullish person than I would have been if I stayed in China and following the different cultural guidelines that, you know, in the Chinese society you have to follow. Um, so overall, I think it's just been a wonderful kind of ride that I've had over the last uh, few decades. That's great. Do you travel back there to Colombia? Uh, yes, I, I travel there as, as often as I can. Um, cool. But yeah, I, fun fact, I have not been back to China for like 15 years. So, oh, wow. Okay. A trip that I need to make at some point. It's just a really yeah. trip, you know? It's, it's a long flight. Definitely. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so switching kind of back into just like industry adoption verticals that, you know, I'm curious about like what verticals have been quick to adopt, you know, RPA and other automation, like then which ones are lagging behind and why? Yeah, absolutely. So we've mentioned about, you know, uh, BFSI banking, financial services, insurance. Uh, but I will say the industries that are that follow them are telco, um, manufacturing, retail, CPG, you know, just do kind of the nature of their business, which entails high volumes of data entry, data manipulation. And, you know, I wouldn't say that there are many industries that are lagging behind just because we have reached the stage of maturity in the market. We have a lot of you know, large scale organizations that regardless of verticals have adopted one or more automation solutions by now. Um, but you know, if I will name a few of the ones that maybe have lagged behind just a little will be you know, healthcare and public sector. We all know government is never the early ad- adopter in any technology, but we also know that government and honestly in every level, like say local, federal, public education, 
it's likely one of the sectors that would benefit the most from automation. Exactly. You know? Yeah. With their backlogs and their legacy systems and paper driven practices that it's really makes the citizen services experience a bit poor, you know, I think just, you know, ask anyone that's visited their local DMV recently. It's a, <laughs> a struggle. <laughs> a, a couple years ago, you wrote an article on LinkedIn about like the time to automate is now. I think that was your title, the time to automate is now, which I love. Um, I also thought there was an interesting kind of like a lot of use cases came out of the crisis that we faced as a, as a, as a country and, 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 a, and a globe, actually. And there were some really interesting distinctions. Just I would love to hear from you anecdotally around learnings during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, because that article is pretty profound. And you mentioned like a few things that were, yeah, were really like, yeah, poignant at the time and still are. Mm-hmm. Was that was that time for you? like just more confirmation that this industry is like, like you said, it's validating where we're going as a world. What was that like for you and the technology? Oh yeah, no, that was was a very interesting uh, phase of our company at that moment because, you know, we're struggling financially, you know, getting cash flow, like surviving through the next payroll and uh, everybody struggled with the kind of the economic recession that we faced for a little bit, right? During COVID. But I have to say automation is one of those industries that are recession proof because people actually realize how much they need automation in terms of, you know, in times of crisis. Um, so I remember in that on that article, I wrote about, you know, kind of the, the concept of the existential flexibility. And that was something that I thought was super interesting. I, I saw it from kind of Simon, uh, Simon Sinek's latest book. And, and, it's, and to put it simply, it's the ability of company leaders to really shift their existing vision to respond and adapt to a rapidly changing environment, right? And that's how do we stay, how do we remain competitive? You know, think of the rise of the internet era. You know, companies that didn't bother to pivot their business models were quick to outpace by their competition. Um, So, you know, back in the early days of the pandemic, um, I remember, you know, we saw a rapid shift in the adoption of automation in our clients and all of a sudden, we want to scale our automation pipeline. You know, we want to be able to kind of deal with the impact of that sudden um, shift to remote work and all of those workforce limitations that we all had to deal with. Um, so, you know, that was a great way to kind of highlight the pressing need for leaders to really kind of recognize the opportunities uh, that a crisis can bring forward to help them innovate, to help them generate, you know, additional revenue streams and you know, eliminate legacy practices, modernize their workplace to be really efficient and be able to kind of, you know, combat those challenges that, that the pandemic brought upon. Hmm. How do you like think about now being in the mature stage that, that we're in now and that Rebollo's in now as, as a business and as an industry that you're serving? How do you think about bringing in new, like new clients into the funnel? Like, do you have favorite mediums that you use or just use cases that you use when you're utilizing ways to bring new folks in? Oh, indeed. So... This is a favorite topic of mine as well. So, you know, it's a, it's a good chance also for me to bring up just how successful inbound marketing has been for us since the early jolt days. You know, back then <laughs> I was a one man, one woman team <laughs> that really forced me to kind of dedicate time to wear multiple hats. I was leading HR. I was leading recruitment. Wow. And because we were extremely lean as a, as a startup and, you know, because of the lack of the marketing budget, I really could not invest on digital ads, sponsored content or content syndication campaigns or trade shows. So literally our main source of lead gen was organic SEO. Wow. Yeah, it was producing a ton. Like I would say 90% of our leads came from inbound organic SEO. 
And, you know, because Jolt was the number one uh, search result, organic search result for all of our target keywords, RPA services being one of them. So everybody was, you know, just going to our website, filling out forms and saying, hey, we want to talk to you. That was an excellent practice that we had. I think we had about like 20 new leads inbound on average every day. And so, and the success behind that is just my focus on, on content marketing, really getting, you know, educational materials out there making sure that, you know, Google will see us as kind of the domain expert, the dot leader. Oh, these people are like, are definitely know what they're, what they're talking about. They, they are definitely the industry experts here. And so that's exactly how we kind of generated that, that leadership in the last uh, few years. So I want to ask you just about like doubling down on SEL. I mean, I love, I love the story about how, you know, you, you, you didn't have a ton of resources and a ton of support. It's like, you still got to come up with a strategy. Why did you double down on SEO? What did that come from something you were doing prior? What was that kind of like of saying, Hey, if we're going to burn the ship right now, let's do it on, on organic SEO, which is, that's a big, that's a big bet and a big vote that I obviously paid off, but take us into those, like those conversations, what that was about, where that came from. Uh, here's the thought process. I had no budget and that was the only way to go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, okay. you know, I was just getting familiar with inbound marketing practices before I, I, I co-founded Jolt. So I was really, you know, interested in, in, in seeing how this goes. And because I didn't have any resources in my team, I was literally ghostwriting every single blog post, white paper, wow. ebook, infographic. I, I didn't have any design skills. I would like go to Canva, I would like create infographics. Uh, I would like use, you know, I don't even remember the name of those video editing tools that I use, but, um, you know, I was able to like create demo videos, promo videos, et cetera. And I can tell you the joy for the first time when I Googled RPA services and I realized that we were the number one organic search result. I was like, oh my God, this really paid off. And that was, I remember the ninth month of us launching a brand new website. Wow. I was just so surprised. I think it was a combination of luck and consistency. Luck because we were barely early stages. And so there was not a lot of, uh, you know, other companies like really targeting the RPA keywords and putting out content. So we really benefited from that. And we kept that position, the number one search result uh, for the the next three years. So, wow. And that was through consistency of continuing to putting out more content and making sure that the traffic we generated will continue to nurture them through, you know, gated content, newsletters, et cetera, et cetera. Wow. Yeah. Cause as you know, with SEO, it's like, it's such a long term game. You know, it's not something that you say, okay, let's focus on putting out a bunch of content. And then tomorrow morning, we should get some responses. Like, you're playing a long game. You're writing a lot of content and title tags and keywords. And it's also a, you're, there's a ton of, there's a ton of snake oil service providers out there too that, that claim they can get you to the top and this and that. So you kind of got to weave through that as well and play, and you're placing a big bet that you're not going to see in your case, you saw it nine months later, like, okay, here, which is pretty fast. That's great. Um, but you still had enough faith to proceed down that. Like this is, this is where we're going. We burn the ship. Let's go down the SEO route. I love that. Um, who, who do you typically sell to? Like, who are the buyers of Rebellion? And what are some of the ways that you go about just building rapport with, with those inside the automation industry? Yeah. So I will say that our ideal customer profile um, are the enterprise level organizations. Okay. They will have, you know, at least 500 million revenue or, or, or more uh, or okay. uh, 500 employees minimum. And okay. industry-wise, we're pretty agnostic. Um, but we do have, you know, high domain expertise in BFSI. We work with a lot of my mm-hmm. organizations, retail, um, CPG, 
as well as pharma and public sector. So we have, you know, I can name a few clients, um, Puma, Adidas, Volkswagen, Audi, um, VHL, Bayer, Pepsi, you know, on the um, government side, we've worked with the California DMV. We've uh, worked with several universities. Uh, and we also have high tech clients. Like, you know, we're talking about Facebook, we're talking about Snapchat, GoDaddy. Wow. So we're very spread out across those uh, industries, I'll say. Wow. How does that feel to, you know, to have such validation across some incredible logos? I mean, what is that like for you, who's someone who was actually there in the beginning when this was nothing, mm -hmm. to now have such validation of such like market fit where you're, like you said, the who's who, those are some huge, massive brands yeah. that have given you the nod of like, we want to work with you. What's that like for, for a marketing leader like you who's been there from the start? Oh, it, it feels amazing. I can remember the first time we signed a contract with Facebook. I couldn't even believe it. Facebook, really? I asked. <laughs> and I remember, I think it was actually a marketing lead that somebody wow. had like, went to our website and then we just went, uh, I remember my co-founders went to their Silicon Valley office and say, here we are <laughs> and let's talk about automation. And and the reason why is because, you know, there are all these enterprise uh, organizations out there, the big names that I just dropped, right? But they don't have enough resources or the knowledge in-house to really do automation properly and be able to start and scale those automations to really drive that kind of the transformational outcomes. So, you know, we compare ourselves to the larger, like the GSIs of the Accentures and the PWCs, et cetera. Uh, and the unique differentiator that we have is that we do have both the functional expertise and the technical expertise because automation is what we do. We, also, we always say, is, you know, automation is in our DNA. All we do day to day is automation. Every single one of us, you know, from the back office to the front office, all we do all day is talk and do automation. So there is that white glove kind of service quality with our clients, as well as the expertise that we can bring as a pure play service provider. And also kind of the close uh, partnerships that we have. We're very close with our with our top partners. And actually Channel is one of the biggest referral, uh, like I would say Legion channels that we have. You know, they, mm. you know, partners like UiPath, Salonis, Abby, they will bring us in on clients who are, you know, looking for reliable partners that they know will be successful in, you know, any program or project and implementation. So yeah, that's, uh, I think it's been a huge success factor for us. When and where do potential clients typically have the most need for automation? And then how do you help them implement, like implement the tools to satisfy their needs? Yeah, absolutely. So I would say a lot of our clients really start with just targeting swivel chair tasks. You know, so finance and accounting, right? There's a huge amount of data entry and data reporting across all these different systems. Uh, so for example, invoice processing, right? Um, why would you have your accounting team sift through hours of transcribing scan invoices in PDF, you know, typically sourced from like email attachments, and then we need to like manually enter into your ERP, your CRMs, your homegrown systems, um, when you actually can have a bot automatically go through the inbox, right? Download the PDF, use a intelligent document processing tool to extract that data from the invoice, enter it directly to one or, or more of your enterprise systems. And, you know, you will end with the report to your team once it's completed. So it creates actually a comprehensive audit trail that will just really ease up with all of the regulatory and compliance goals as well. So, yeah, swivel chair tasks, absolutely the first target for automation. Where does that come from, swivel chair tasks? That's interesting. It's, it's, so think of a Martha in accounting, 
it's okay. every day, you know, it's, it's just That's great. every day operational, repetitive, high volume tasks that are highly okay. manual and just doesn't really involve a lot of like human ingenuity or creativity in those tasks, you know? How do you look at that in the, through the lens of just your marketing team and, and the operations of marketing and the things that they're more, are you kind of constantly looking through the lens of like, how do we automate this intelligently? If so, are there some examples of things that maybe you've done as a marketing leader at the helm of a, of a really awesome automation company to the marketing team? Like, are you bringing automation into areas where a lot of folks haven't done it? How do you view that in your own kind of drinking your own Kool-Aid? Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's an excellent question. In our messaging, what we really try to focus on is driving that corporate culture of a hybrid human plus digital workforce, right? So, you know, companies can leverage technology to augment their human talent. You know, we are helping them to remove all the mundane, the tedious and the mindless work. So we're helping them take the robot out of the human to, you know, get the robotic work to the robots. And so actually work will become more enjoyable. You know, it will become... Uh, you know, something that they don't dread to wake up to every day. They can spend more time with family. They can enjoy, enjoy like, you know, leisure and creative activities. So I think, you know, a lot of that is really focusing on how robots will make work uh, more enjoyable for humans. How do we help humans thrive, right? Um, how do we create more innovation? How can we switch our focus from finishing those repetitive tasks on the day-to-day to actually driving strategic goals of, maybe improving sustainability outcomes, you know, topics like how do we advance our ESG metrics, you know? So just overall uh, advancing and just augmenting our humanity. And that's kind of the the future of work where I really see automation leading us to, because guess what are the, the those forces driving the trends of the great resignation, quiet quitting, laying flat in China, you know, all of that is likely not going away. So how do we help our, you know, bring our humans relief from the pressure of work? And how do we make the four day work week a reality for everyone, not just the people in Ireland? You know, mm-hmm. so that's really where I see automation adding the most value. And that's the messaging that we're trying to convey in our promotional marketing campaigns. I love it. And can you can you take us a layer deeper into like your own marketing like team, your marketing org, where this, because you, you have such a, an interesting perspective about use cases in this technology and where industries can go. I mean, you're supporting and serving huge industries and huge brands, but take like just you as a marketing leader and your team and the stuff you're doing. Is it, is it just like, I, I make up the story that like, if I were to go and kind of sit fly on the wall, you know, your marketing folks, that there's just like a ton of automation happening and there's a lot of really interesting technology. What does it look like to drink your own Kool-Aid in that way? And what ways does intelligent automation actually impact your team, right? And how fast how fast are y'all moving? Because to me, you're you're serving this industry in a huge way. Yeah. But what about just your own dog food? I think as mar- marketers, we really enjoy kind of a lot of automation already in our different tools and CRMs and automation platforms. But you know, they and all of that's great, right? We have an array of features that help us automate emails, communication sequences. You know, help us do the reporting, etc. So what I try to find always is the less common repetitive task that does not have an automation feature already by default in your CRM, right? So for example, contact deduplication. There's many CRMs out there that will have the ability to 
you know, detect, you know, potential duplicated contacts or company records, but they don't actually offer like a foolproof way to say, these are duplicated, we're going to merge them for you. So we actually have to spend time ourselves going in and reviewing on average, like 200 contact records on a weekly basis and say, oh yeah, this we should merge, this we should dismiss. So I basically uh, created an automation that, you know, automatically uh, goes through every single suggested contact duplicate and say, and based on the criteria that I've given the robot, right? Like the first name, last name matches, but the company name does not match. Well, this is not the right, uh, you know, merge record. And, you know, whether now say we have the same name, the same company name, the same title, but the phone number doesn't match. Well, yeah, so that is a, the same com- uh, contact. They just submitted a different number in the, in the you know, in another form. So that's in essence what we have kind of found a lot of value on automation, driving more of those uh, creative um, processes like lead generation. I would like use automation to go to LinkedIn and like be able to like scrape, you know, target mm-hmm. audiences for us. So there's mm-hmm. many, many uses of automation that you don't, you don't get to uh, really kind of um, think of until you're actually doing the job day to day. Be like, hey, can actually an automation do this instead of me spending the two hours a day doing this? And I'm finding that there is a logic and there is a process that I can actually kind of embed in that process design and have an automation take care of that end-to-end. So tons of examples that I can give you out there. But yeah, automation is huge in marketing, I would say. What what have been some of the most interesting use cases you've come across and that's shown the impact of RPA? Like you've got to see some really cool stuff. What's something that sticks out of like a really interesting use case? Oof, there are so many use cases. Um, Let me think of one. I think there is... um, a client that we worked at, um, they were the indirect marketing uh, industry and they were kind of like a franchise model. So in essence, they had to manually compile and run calculations to finalize the reporting for their venture capital group. And that would take them typically like 15 days to finalize. And the process was highly volatile because of all of the different numbers of franchises that were buried into uh, every month. And, you know, so the, the board meetings would actually have to be delayed for like two weeks as a month and reporting was so time consuming. So what we did is that we went in and we implemented an automation, which actually only took like four weeks to, to roll out compared to the other large, uh, you know, uh, IT projects that would take months or years. To right, right. So the simple automation helped cut the month and uh, close reporting process from 15 days to five hours using end-to-end automation. Wow. So that was just a huge gain. Uh, and, you know, now the board meetings can be held actually at the end of every month. They can make agile business decisions and they were, wow. they were able to, you know, grow significantly and the ROI was a no-brainer in that case. Wow, I love it. Okay, let's see one more question and then we'll get into some fun kind of lightning round questions if we have some time, okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, this has been awesome. By the way, I'm like officially nerding out with you, and this is a world <laughs> that I'm so I'm so curious about this world. And you have been able to go everywhere with me, and I'm so grateful. So thank you. Um, this is great. So I, I want you to I want you to just think about your your career and your your path. Um, you've certainly had to overcome challenges to get where you are. I know that without knowing you. I want you to just think about your your history and the time that you faced a a crucial moment in your career. The sort of moment that, you know, is really kind of a make or break situation where you had to kind of rise up to the top. Maybe it, maybe it was like your favorite failure and, and it wasn't this huge win, 
or your favorite lesson learned, or maybe it was a big win you had to fight for to get there and it wasn't all easy, but take us through that kind of story, if you will, and, and tell us what your takeaway was from that experience. Sure, yeah. I'm gonna go back to the very early days of building Jolt as a startup, all right? Because we had, at that time, recently pivoted the company from the Oracle training and testing services provider. And so we've experienced tremendous amount of ups and downs facing, you know, as many challenges as opportunities, I have to say. But one of those challenges is the classic cash flow issue, keeping the company alive and, you know, dealing with the financial liquidity problems. Um, Because, you know, as a newcomer, we didn't really have the established name or the brand recognition in the market in the early days. Um, So we were back then still trying to prove our value and generate credibility in the market. And I remember we had at a time only one billing client for RPA, and we were still relying heavily on some of the legacy business on the Oracle projects. And when we pitched to one of our biggest enterprise clients at that time, they said, hmm, we're not sure about working with you on the RPA space yet, but we do need some bodies for Oracle project we need to implement. Do you guys still offer staff augmentation uh, services? And we were like, Yes, of course. <laughs> Every single client in that stage of our company. But, you know, in reality, we didn't have any recruiters in-house. We didn't have the ability to outsource, you know, any of our existing uh, Oracle resources. So when my co-founders brought up this challenge and they kind of highlighted how huge of a revenue opportunity it would be, I stepped up and I said, you know what? I don't have any recruitment experience but I sure know how to use LinkedIn. Let me take a stab at finding these resources and wow. you know, hopefully we get them staffed. Um, and so we can really get a lifeline there you know, to help us keep making payroll. Uh, so I, I took the plunge. I, I started to like source and interview technical contractors. And uh, really, I should say with an ounce of luck and a lot of dedication, I was able to recruit, uh, I think, three or four candidates that wow. within the time frame that was asked for, which was a pretty tight time frame, I remember. Wow. And I was also able to negotiate a huge margin for us. Uh, and that, I think it helped us like generate like half a million dollars in revenue uh, just in time to, to you know, help us make payroll and survive a few months. So I love it. That's a, a story that I like to tell because, you know, the lesson for me is that you know, regardless of the challenge, if you put yourself in that position of try or die, <laughs> changes, you know, is, those are the things that will come out on the other side with a success story, like, or a lesson learned. Either way, you're going to be able to pro- become a better professional. You're going to be able to grow as a person. So that's, I think, one of the biggest qualities that entrepreneurs have to have to navigate the turbulence and really come up. With oh, that's great. Okay, Schwinn, um, let's do some fun questions and then we can wrap up and give you, we'll finish a little early. Okay, are you ready? Yes. Okay, so these are our lightning round questions. Try to be you know, quicker with your answers, like answer from the heart. I like to say, don't think about it too much, just what's the first answer that comes to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I ask you the first question, I wanna give a shout out to our sponsor, Salesforce. Uh, this podcast is brought to the world by Salesforce. Uh, Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together. If you're a marketer out there and you want to learn more, head over to salesforce.com forward slash marketing. Okay, Schwinn, here we go. Are you ready? I am. First question, what's the last time you tried something new? Okay, um, I tried Chick-fil-A for the first time last week. (laughs) 
on a okay. trip. Uh, I didn't eat much like fast food normally, uh, so I never tried it. But a colleague of mine made me try it, and I have to say, it is the best fast food I've had. Very closely followed by In and Out. Oh, that's great. We interviewed their their CMO last year. Amazing, amazing human, and he'll he will appreciate that. Um, what's a life lesson you learned the hard way? Never put a hammock too high or on top of a pointy rock. Oh, <laughs> that last summer on a backpacking trip, uh, I flipped because the the hammock was way too stiff, and I landed my hip ribs landed right on top of a pointy oh. rock. And it was a struggle, a painful experience, and I had to walk back like seven miles with a backpack after the injury. Oh, so don't oh. do that. <laughs> okay, that that is a really good tip. Okay, um, what's one activity that makes you lose track of time? Well, you know, I love anything outdoors. So you know, hiking, mountain biking are some of my favorite activities. But I mean, if I have to be honest, an activity that makes me lose track of time is just binge watching a, a TV show. Okay. Okay. Um, if you could choose one book as a mandatory read for all high school students, which book would you choose? Hmm. Sapiens. Sapiens. Okay. Yeah, it's from uh, Yuval Harari. Okay. Just an amazing narrative about the history of our humankind, and I just think that everyone would enjoy it. Uh, okay. So, if you had to choose one of these two scenarios, which one would you choose? Would you rather lose? all of your old memories or never be able to make new ones? Oh my gosh, this is a pretty difficult one. Cause I have so many amazing memories. Uh, that's life. what I figured, that's what I figured. <laughs> I can't imagine forgetting them, but I also I feel like there's so many more decades of life ahead. So I think if I have to choose, I would maybe prioritize the ability to make new ones. Okay, okay. Um, let's say tomorrow you have to build a marketing team from scratch. Mm -hmm. What is the first role you're hiring and why? So my strategy in hiring has been really, you know, people that have the ability to do multiple functions and not get stuck in one area. You know, my design, my um, designers can do, can make videos, they can run campaigns. Uh, so I think the first one that I will hire will be, a campaign manager that knows SEO, that knows copywriting, that can do basic design tools. And, you know, I think the most important skill overall is just being resourceful. You know, doesn't matter if you know how to do it, as long as you know how to learn how to do it fastly and effectively, that's it. That's that's the person that I'm looking for. I love it. So there's a lot of brands we're hearing about now, Wendy's, Chipotle, there's a bunch of brands that are exploring this potential of virtual worlds. Mm -hmm. what, what do you make of this? Huh. Well, I don't think that I'm ready to live in kind of the ready player one type of world. <laughs> uh, I, I myself have not really immersed myself um, on the kind of the metaverse, but I think it's fun to use VR goggles and interact in a virtual world from time to time. And I've seen companies like the, I think some beer companies, I've seen them like throw uh, virtual parties in the metaverse. Right. And I think that's a fun way to, to kind of try out and test out how effective this can be. But I don't see myself, like my whole life being in virtual reality. That's kind of the jury still out for that. Got it. Yeah. What is your favorite app on your phone? Oof, what's my favorite app on my phone? Um, notes. <laughs> oh yeah, okay. okay. I just love the ease of typing, you know, kind of quick thoughts, ideas, notes, and it just kind of keeps me honest because when the brain fog hits, I can always open notes and I just go back to what I need to remember. Okay, last question. 
What is one thing you would like to do this year that you've never done before? Oh, I think I would just love to find time to travel to Iceland. <laughs> Ooh, I'll take yeah. you up on that. That sounds great. I yeah. love it. I think it's a magical place and I need to find time to do it. Awesome. I love it. Well, Schwinn, thank you so much for being here. This was an exceptional conversation. I'm really, really excited about where you're headed, where Raboyo's headed. Congrats to you and the whole squad. Keep going. And thank you for being a part of Marketing Trends. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having this chat with you, Jeremy. I cannot wait to hear the podcast. Awesome. Take care. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.